Hi, everyone. I'm Alan Schimmel of MediaOps, DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, Container Journal, TechStrong TV, and welcome to another episode of CISO Talk. As usual, I am joined on this CISO Talk by my co-host. Uh, we have Matt Newfield, who is Chief Infrastructure Security and Security Officer at Unisys. Matt, did we get that right? Close enough. It works for me. All the, All right. the letters are in there, so... I've been working. I've been working on it for you know three months now, but sooner or later I'll get it right. Joining Matt and I is our is my trusted side uh, companion here, Ed McMahon, Mitch Ashley, CPO, Heyo, Heyo, right? Welcome, Mitchell. And then joining us as our guest for this episode, we're happy to have Miranda Ritchie coming back. Miranda, welcome. Thanks for having me back again. Miranda, why don't you just let people g give people a little background on uh, who you are and what you're doing? Sure. I run global managed detection and response at IBM Security. So uh, I know our topic today is response, which is near and dear to my heart. Excellent. And then joining us for the first time is, is it Jesse Carrillo-Hines? Jesse yeah. Carrillo-Hines. Oh, you got that rolling R's better than I could do, Jesse. But anyway, welcome and thank you. Why don't you give people a little bit of your background? Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually the SVP and Chief Information Officer with Heinz CIO. Been with Heinz over 25 years. Uh, Ex-programmer, uh, which I guess what makes me dangerous on the cyberspace. Uh, but now I'm a CIO, but I'm also very active in the, uh, the CISO and cybersecurity uh, groups and forums here in the Houston market. Uh, and it's just uh, very active um, in, in cyber in general. And so I'm actually the official CISO for Heinz as a CIO also. So it's Jesse Carrillo. 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 Yep. That's as close as Heinz, I get to that R. Yeah, Carrillo. Uh, Carrillo. Heinz, Heinz is a, commercial, a global commercial real estate firm, office buildings uh, and the rest of them. So I can speak Fantastic. to some of the interesting challenges around real estate. Thank you so much. And thanks for joining us. So... You know, a lot of us out here have heard the the old saying of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. But sometimes all of the prevention in the world doesn't make you ready for the cure. In the security world, we we've spent a lot of a lot of time on prevention, knowing full well that there's nothing is 100% bulletproof or anything else. Matt, you have a nice analogy about cars. Why don't why don't you kick this off for us? Sure. So obviously it's an honor to be with you all today and thank you so much for taking the time and to our audience as well. So, you know, as Alan's saying, we spend a lot of time trying to stop bad things from happening and I think a lot of organizations forget it's more around the response. And the analogy Alan's talking about is if we had to build a car, this team had to build a car that never got into an accident, hard stop ever. We are going to prevent accidents. Is that possible? And we see people trying that, but it hasn't worked so far and those organizations that tried, we've even heard about people dying in that attempt. And the analogy continues to say, instead of worrying about a car that will never get into an accident, let's change our mindset to a car that when it gets into an accident, everybody walks away, everybody lives. And I think that shift has been in the car industry, airbags, seatbelts, side airbag curtains, anti-lock brakes. And you can start seeing these 
responsive technologies instead of the prevention technologies. And, and today we're going to talk a little about that with our two great guests of how do you do that in the world of cyber? Absolutely. And then, it, you know, I'd love to build a car that wouldn't get in an accident, maybe when it's full autonomous driving. Maybe. Just, you can build a car, you just can't drive it. So, I mean, you can build a car in the garage all day long. You know, it's funny. I got to be honest with you, Jesse. I, I would agree with you, except the worst accident one of my cars has ever been in. I was not in at the time. I was sitting in my office. It was down in the parking area and someone literally totaled it while it was sitting there. So it doesn't even work all the time when it's sitting in a parking lot. There you go. <laughs> Interesting. But you know, guys, seriously, I remember being at an RSA conference probably 10 years ago. And it was the first time that I heard people really voicing the opinion that, hey, we spend way too much time in security on prevention and we spend no time on response. And that's why we, we mess up and screw up our responses almost every time, right? Uh, there's always, you know, what could we have done better? Had we planned for it? Had we, you know, had procedures in place? Since that time, though, I, I think we've gotten a little better in the industry. But you know what? I'll, I'll throw it out to you, Miranda. What What do you think? Have Have we come to the realization that you know responses as important as prevention? Absolutely, and I, I definitely see that just in the industry and working in a security operations center day after day. Um, you know, five years ago when I first joined IBM, we were very focused on SIM, right, and very detection heavy, making sure that we could see everything that was occurring in your environment. That has since shifted, and now there's a really big emphasis on MDR services and EDR technology. And I think that sort of set the stage, and we're going to see further evolution of that trend, too, now with XDR being the, the next big thing up and coming, right? People want fast and flexible response options. They want to be able to, to take action right away to contain a threat, knowing that they're never going to be able to prevent every single thing out there. Um, and I also think it's pretty interesting that even the market is now delineating between, you know, Gartner will call it little R and big R in terms of response and then incident response, right? So being able to take very quick action to contain a clear and present danger, like isolating a host so that malware doesn't propagate versus having a full-blown incident response plan where you're doing forensics and, and uh, cleaning up and remediating. Yeah, I, no? I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think we're really seeing that. And, you know, a lot of the studies from, you know, Miranda and I worked together years ago, and you would beat these studies about uh, MTTD and MTTR. Mm -hmm. um, and I always found it funny that you would talk to Jesse CIOs, and their goal was to get their MTTD down, let's say 5% a year. 10% a year. And then you'd ask that next question, well, what is the average MTTD of, let's say the Fortune 1000, let's just go with that big number. And there's been studies out there that say 200 plus days. And then you sit, step back, you go, okay, wait a minute, it's going to take you three quarters of a year to realize there's a problem. That's sim, what Miranda's talking about. How much longer to respond? And they're like, oh, that's another 60 to 90 days. And you sit there and rub your head and go, okay, so let me get this straight. You have a problem. And a year later, you respond to it. You deal with it. And there's your core problem. There's the problem that 
Jesse's CIOs deal with and CIOs, CISOs deal with like you and I are because 10% better is not better. I mean, it's not better at all. You've got to get down to seconds. Miranda, in your world, MDR, what's the what's the average time you hear from CISOs? What are they looking for? Yeah, it varies. It varies a lot. I mean, and it depends on whether you're just talking, like you said, about detection versus full-blown response. Um, and depending on the severity of the incident too, right? We try to really shrink that down. We want to have an incident contained within 48 hours, certainly not months or, or you know, weeks or months. Yeah. And I talked to a, a CIO, Alan, maybe it was a year ago, that, and she was very clear. Her North Star, M, not MTTD, but her full MTTR, 30 seconds. Wow. That was her goal. 30 seconds for SEV ones. You had to detect and respond to it 30 seconds. And that was the goal. And there was no talking her off that ledge. There was nothing. That That is her goal. That is her dream. And we all go, oh, that's so unrealistic. But when you step back, you go, that's the kind of North Star you want to get to. Because when we hear about breaches, is anybody here freaked out when a breach happens? Do you get really upset with that company? Generally not. It's how did they respond? How quickly did they respond? And what did they do about it? That's what matters. And Jesse, I know you're in a bit of a unique industry to the rest of us in real estate. What, what are your thoughts around this? Where you come from? Yeah, well, first, I'd like to meet that CIO and find out how do I get an unlimited budget like that so I can put every single piece of technology in place for 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think it, it's really about the risk level, risk tolerance. Uh, you know, what are we willing to live with a little bit? And every every organization, every CIO has to be able to live with risk. Uh, you can't, you, you know, I, I can't put every single technology. I can't put every single monitoring tool. I can't have a SOC that has a hundred folks watching blinking lights and stats and, and be able to respond. And even with ML and AI and some of the newer tools that are out there, it's, it's there, there's still, you require resources, you require training. And so, so I think, I think it's all about, you know, what are we willing to risk and, and you know, where uh, it's always the same thing in cyber, right? It's like, where's your, your, your secret sauce? Where's your data that you want to make sure you're extra protecting. And so I think when you create those layers of, of risk, and, and how do you mitigate certain areas? That's when you. That's where the budgets go, right? That that's where they go. And so you can never protect the entire firm. We're we're in 27 countries, over 200 cities. There's no way I can protect every single endpoint, every single city, every single user exactly the same. I just can't. And so so how do you how do you identify those those more riskier areas uh, and be willing to to lose something? Going back to the the topic at hand, being able, be willing to get affected but knowing that you have a response in place, right? And because you are going to get hit and we know you're going to get it. We always used to joke in conferences, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? And it's reality. I mean, we're all going to get hit. We all deal with, with you know, little bits of uh, attacks, big attacks, you know, ransomware. And so so it is about the response and, and you know, having your team have that mindset. So I love the analogy of the car, uh, you know, you know, figure out how to make the, the driver or the passenger live versus not getting into the accident figure out how to segment your network. And a lot of us, especially at the CIO level, you know, we push our team members, make it easy on employee, make sure it's a good experience, make sure that they can work from home or work for an office, I mean, real estate. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they're pushing back, CISOs like you are pushing back and saying, well, but if I make it too easy, it makes it easier for the hackers also, right? And so I think it's, it's how do you find that, that sweet spot that, that the employees still can get to their resources and still protect but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they're still going to get in. So, so you know, I'm, I look forward to further conversation because it is around 
Um, how do you respond? I think it's also, Jesse, some really good points. It's also the fact that we're not only in a single field of play, not, not just geographically, but I literally just got off of a panel webinar talking about software supply chain integrity and security and the, grappling with issues of how do you get enough security tools and how do you teach a developer? Do you teach developers how much automation do you do? You know, going back to the fundamentals of just knowing what you have, we would say the same thing in a network security world. And, and so we as security professionals are, and, and that's a good example, right? With your multiple letters in your title, right? You're more than just a security professional. Same with you, Jesse, and with Miranda. It's not just the network. It's not just the outer shell, wherever that's all the way down to the host anymore. It's the entire stack of everything, right? That we ultimately have to respond to if there's an incident. That right there tells you there are things you are not going to know. There are things you're going to have some connection to and some understanding or things you're going to have better management of. But you've got to have a process to sort of be able to step across any of those gaps when, not if, something happens. Well, and, I'll, and Mitch, I'll add to that is, is in real estate, as other, other companies, we have two sets of networks, right? We have the, the corporate network, the global network, the run your business network, but just this is harder, even harder is the building network, right? Every building has a building management system, controls, the digital, the HVAC, you know, there's an entire separate network that is really operational technology, OT versus IT. And so that infrastructure is even harder because you're talking about 20, 25 year old technology, SCADA, all that. And so, so to me, that's the, that's the scarier part for a CIO from a real estate firm is less around the corporate network because we can segment, you know, we have great tools, but, but how do you protect that one building and that one, one dangerous country where you know hackers are going after everything in that space? And so those are the ones that, you know, when people say what keeps you up at night or doesn't let you sleep comfortably, those are the ones that are riskier for, for folks in real estate. And, and again, we have a lot of consortiums and a lot of team members all tackling the, the built environment because of the, the building networks. When you're acquiring those left and right, and those are built out by many, many people, you not only have one of everything, you probably have yep. 25 of everything. <laughs> yeah. And those are the kinds that, you know, you can do your best to, to, to plan for and to try to prevent something from occurring. But I think Colonial Pipeline is a, is a great example, right? They Similar environment, right? Separate OT technology. They probably assumed it was not really internet connected. And they're in this now position where they had to pay a ransom because they didn't have a good backup plan, but, you know, backups restored offsite and uh, a good incident response plan to get them operational quickly. Yep. Yeah. And they and think the ransom, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jesse. No, no. No, 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 no I want to hear what you have to say. You're the guest. No. <laughs> no so was all I was going to say about the, the Colonial Pipeline and a lot of the others is there's the collateral damage piece of it that is is also very key here when it comes to response. You know, we we tend in cyber to talk a lot about being targeted and how do I respond to being targeted? And, you know, you Jesse and Miranda and actually Mitch, you all said it, but we forget about that human element of it as well. And, you know, a lot of the problems we have, that shell is useless because it's the employee that accidentally clicked the link. It's the it's the employee that may have circumvented for the best of reasons. You know, you, you talk about it, Jesse, the, you know, you can't be too stringent. You can't be not stringent enough, but you have to be frictionless. You know, as my oldest son would prove to you in my own household, where as a cyber person, I have a ton of controls in place. He would always find ways around them, <laughs> um, always. And it was 
brutal for me. And I realized that it's more of a culture because I could put a billion things in place. That just means they are more apt to find ways around it and not tell you. You're training compared you're to that friction. <laughs> <You're> tra- <laughs> That's why he's majoring in cybersecurity. I'm very proud. <laughs> he's majoring in cyber and he's he's got another major in psychology. I, I couldn't be more proud of him. But it's it's taking those kinds of concepts and putting them in place that it, I think are really important on the response. And I want to switch it slightly to something I know Alan and Mitch take dearly. It's training. And I think that's the other piece of it is a lot of executives, and I'll pick on even executives, Jesse, like you and I, when it comes to the CIO, CISOs, we don't practice enough. We think we have a you know a nice binder. It's got an IR. Miranda deals with this from all the time. I know she does, where you got a nice binder and you're like, look, I have an IR program and I'm going to put it over here and I'll see you in a year because every year our policy says update it and go away. Brush it off, bring it out. And then the world falls apart. I think it's really fascinating that your son is majoring in both uh, psych and computer security because, I mean, this is not to harp on IBM too much, but this was the whole concept behind the cyber range. And I've been up there a number of times, and it is interesting to me when when you don't put your IR plan on a binder and and on a shelf and shove it away and it gets dusty and you're actually forced to use it, the cortisol spike is real. You know, when the lights turn red and the malware drops and you see that encrypted sign, your blood pressure is going to spike no matter what you, no matter how prepared you are. That's right. And I always, you know, the funnier one I've done in the past is we had hired a company and it was GNN, right? So, you know, that joke. And in the middle of a tabletop, we stopped everybody and turned the television on in the conference room and played this GNN and it said, hey, it got a reporter there and we, it was watermarked six ways to Sunday that this is not real, but it was like, you know, breaking news. The company that I was doing this for has been hacked and has caused this damage. And, you know, we're looking to get in touch. We've ta- contacted their CEO and blah, 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 blah. And we hit pause and turn around and look at everybody and ash it. Right. They, you get this look because if you don't practice and know what to do and you know, you turn around and look at a CEO or a CIO or a CISO and go, now what? GNN's on the phone right now. What are you going to do? Can't ignore it. What are you going to do? And that practice ties into response. And when we think of companies we love, some of them have been breached. And how do they respond? Very large shipping company quite a few years ago got breached, right? One of the worst I'd ever heard about, one of the worst I've ever seen um, and yet nobody's mad at them these days because of how they responded. CEOs on television, they're taking action, they're taking control, they're transparent with the information. They responded amazingly and have built a better program as compared to another organization around that same time that had been breached. And, you know, there are still repercussions going because, you know, it's we lost this number of records, eh, this number of records. It was this number of records. It's this number of records. And it's the response was awful and it has impact. People don't want to use their services anymore and they go elsewhere. And that's why, you know, when when I work with organizations like Miranda's that are focused on EDR, MDR, XDR, but take the analogies or the acronyms away, they're focused on making my response better for bad things. That's very powerful. You know, I throw people out as a 
uh, executive, when someone comes into my office or virtually into my office, like, if you buy my stuff, bad things won't happen. Mm -hmm. Get out. I don't even want to talk <laughs> to you because, you know, you can't wrap my car in bubble wrap. It doesn't work. Well, and, and, and I'm first I'm going to say, Matt, I mean, I, I if this is, a, I guess, a generational thing. You know, when I was your your son's age, I was trying to figure out how to sneak out of the house without getting caught. So that was so every generation has their thing. You know, your son's <laughs> trying to figure out how to get access to Internet. I was just trying to sneak out of the house without getting caught. So we, we all have our things. So we're I, I was trying to make fire. Yeah. Anyway, but I, I agree with you, Jeff. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Absolutely. I think, you know, we, we call ours our written information security program, right? And it's the same thing. I mean, every year it gets updated. I love when it gets updated and I participate in that update. But but it's it's the same it's the same conversation I have with my team that I used to have, you know, back in the in the disaster recovery business continuity conversation, right? Okay, what happens if the system goes down? Forget about cybersecurity. What happens if the system goes down? What happens if we lose this? What happens if we last? And, and you know, and, and I, I did what a lot of CIOs did in the old days. I would go into the server room and I would start unplugging things, right? And then have chaos happen, right? And then that's how you learn how to respond. And that's how you learn how to control, control your breath and your, your, you know, how to deal to these crises. Because you, you won't know how to respond unless you practice it, right? It's, it's like you'll, you'll never know how to respond, you know, if you're in an accident or you get injured or whatever. You, you know, so you have to, you hate to say it, but you have to go through the life experiences. And that's the same thing with, with cybersecurity. And it was the same thing with business continuity and disaster recovery. And so cybersecurity is just a, something that could cause business continuity and disaster recovery issues. And so you're just taking those same playbooks and just making sure that they're, they're still solid. It's just now you're a cyber incident versus some user, you know, messed up a server somewhere or, or unplugged the network somewhere. So I think it's if you have a strong foundation, I agree 100 percent tabletop, you know, cyber ranges, all that is important because it's really around how do you how do you take the human in you and really learn how to react and how to respond? You know, because you can have all the checklists. And, and I, you know, ours has an amazing checklist and it's, did you check this? But, you know, I mean, it's just like getting lost in the old days without GPS. You know, you got to figure out how to get back on, on, the, on the road. Same thing here. You could have the best checklist ever, but all of a sudden this is different. Now what do you do? So there's no checklist item. So you have to be able to very quickly respond. Uh, and so, again, there's nothing like practice, nothing like going through it, nothing like sweating a few times that'll make you more prepared. Uh, and that's what we try to do as much as we can. Yeah, I think we're worth the investment. I think we've hit the era of maybe challenged a little bit, a little bit of what you said, Matt, of we don't really pay that much attention to the, maybe we do as professionals. Most people don't pay that much attention to who does it well, or maybe kind of okay. It's the people who didn't know it for, you know, two years or whatever number of 200 days, didn't do anything about it for whatever X period of time, didn't disclose it you know, openly, or at least in a, in a, in a way that was, you know, kind of informing people what's happening and let them know what they've done and what's happened and what they've, they've done about it. it. It's just, you don't want to be those people. That's sort of the worst. And all these other measures that you take are the things, because it happens every day. It happens every, you know, there's only two kinds of companies. Those that have been attacked and those just haven't told you they've been attacked, right? It, it, it just happens. And so, these are things now we may not get a lot of credit for, but we do by, by doing a really good job when something does happen because it will, it does. That's right. And you to do a good job, you have to practice. It's like any sport, you know, Miranda, you, you brought up three acronyms at the beginning that, you know, we always try to help educate the audience. Um, and you brought up EDR, MDR, XDR, right. And as sort of this uh, evolution, 
if, if I'm not calling you out, it would be really cool if you could just spend a few minutes, you know, as it relates to this response, giving a little definition behind them and that the progression, because I actually find it very fascinating where this industry is going. Sure. Yeah. So, so EDR is kind of the a technology that sits on every endpoint, right? Endpoint detection and response, and it's you know it operates like a mini sim in the sense that it it's looking at all the events that are occurring on that endpoint and then giving the analyst the ability to respond to them. So, typical response actions might be you know blocking a process from executing, banning a hash on that endpoint or on the network, and um, you know isolating a, a host from the network if you think there's a risk of malware propagating, for example. Um, MDR being the obviously the managed services component of that. And then where XDR comes into play, it's extended detection and response. It's taking, it's capitalizing on the success that we saw with EDR and MDR services and going beyond just the endpoint. So to give you another analogy, you know, identity. Maybe you're you're incorporating your identity telemetry into your XDR program or tool. And do you have the ability to now maybe force a password reset or force the two-factor authentication login instead of isolating that host. It's a little bit less invasive, but still kind of accomplishes a, a similar goal. Yeah, it, it's that extra telemetry, telemetry around XDR that I find so fascinating because you're right, we were really limited in what we could do as a response capability. But by extending it, you could also, through APIs and other mechanisms, you can start to imagine if this happens on an endpoint, forget it going back into a SIM, I need this thing to happen over here. Simple as a ticket creation, an account being disabled, you know, of forcing a password. There's so many things you can do. And the reason I bring up XDR in the response conversation as a concept, as you're thinking through it is, you know, Jesse, we were talking about that 30 second horizon. You're never going to get there, even close to there without automation. And you have to start thinking about automation in our response. And I'll throw an example out just to, to get your all's opinion. So I'm a big believer in the cyber kill chain. I love the cyber kill chain. I didn't write the cyber kill chain. I had nothing to do with it, but I believe in it. And one of the things that they talk about is in every attack, reconnaissance happens, which makes sense, right? I mean, if you infect a machine, you're not going after a laptop. You're going after the network the laptop's on. So you can do a scan. Well, then you ask yourself a very simple question. How many assets, Jesse, in your organization, and I'm talking laptops, desktops, and even servers, are authorized to perform network recon? And most people, if they sit back and think about it, will go zero. I have a dedicated VMS environment that does that, so zero. Then you go, well, how many user accounts are authorized to initiate network recon? And if you sit back and think about it, you go, well, zero. Right, that there there should be none other than some very specialized service accounts or maybe two administrative accounts or something of that nature, but it's going to be close to zero. So then, Miranda, in your world, you I, I think you would agree with this. Why do so many corporations tune out network recon? They tune it out of their sim because it's noisy, and it makes you step back. If you if you're going to go down an XDR path, if you're going to go down an automation path. The one little thing I just threw out there, which is the number one thing that happens in every breach, you could automate through an XDR program and say, if my laptop performs network reconnaissance, it's not authorized to do so, we're going to isolate it. Pop, we're going to disable a user account. Pop, didn't stop the breach, stopped it from being a newsworthy event, stopped you from getting in the news, 
and it took the accident, which is me clicking on a link most likely uh, or falling for a fish from becoming this world ending propagating mess inside of your organization. So the question then to you, to you all is why, why aren't people grabbing onto this and moving forward? Why is there so much resistance in the market to doing things like that? I mean, even XDR, there's mass resistance to it. Why? There's always, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I'll give you my experience. And Mitchell was here with me for this, right? We had started a company called Still Secure, and our product, this was at the cusp of IDS to IPS, right? Intrusion detection to intrusion prevention. In my mind, 85% <clears throat> of the malicious traffic that we were seeing in line in an IDS was garden variety, obvious crap that very easily we could filter out like this. And I thought, man, you know, I met with our board of, of, of directors. What's the sales model? Sales model. This thing sells itself, right? It's a $6,500 box. And people, you know, we're just going to, we're going to stop attacks in their tracks. Well, Mitchell will tell you this, right? We, no one wanted to do that. Even when we went to our customers who claimed to be happy and were using these boxes for months, if not years, they didn't have active blocking on. And you'd ask them, why, 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 why don't you have it? You don't have to turn on every attack is blocked, but why not like the stupid ones, right, that are obvious? I can't take that chance. What happens if it blocks the CEO's email? because he happens to be a porn hound or, you know, something like that. Or what happens if something legitimate gets blocked? I can't, I can't afford that. The problem, a problem in security is we have always taken the least common denominator or the lowest bar, right? We can't afford any bad thing to happen to anything good to prevent anything bad happening to everything good. And, and it's a best backwards approach when you think about it, right? But but nevertheless, there's, there's always been tremendous pushback on automation and security. It's gotten better than it was in, this is going back to 2002, 2001. It's gotten better, but it's still, it's still there. It's still there. Yeah, yeah I see it a sorry, lot. Too. Oh, sorry, I was going to oh, say as a, as a security services provider, right, and working with CISOs like yourself, Matt, or CIOs um, like yourself, Jesse, I think the psychology component comes into it again a little bit because I have to not only um, do what's best to secure my clients, I have to kind of give them that that psychological, you know, comfort blanket, if you will. And even with clients that are subscribing to NBR XDR services, we'll we'll push them to do a bake-in period. Maybe you're not comfortable authorizing me to take response actions right away for the first three months while you get comfortable with you know, our, our recommendations. And we'll revisit it after a couple of months and make sure we're nudging you in that direction to, to automate and to protect you better. Yeah, no, 100%. And you know, Matt, that's what I, and, and Alan and Miranda, that's what I was talking about earlier, the, the experience of the user, right? And, and so again, yes, where the CEO or someone's always going to say, well, I'm on, I need this important call. What happens if my computer goes down? I could lose a big deal, you know, and I, you know, I, I lost revenue, right? And so it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And so we're always asking, well, can you put it on, on preview mode or monitor mode and, and not actually do anything? And then we can see what it would have done. 
but then you then you you look at it and go, well, it would have done that. But then I got to go figure out, okay, if it did that, which eight systems could have have broken? If it did that, which four cloud systems could have broken? And then you spend all your time, and then that's one out of a hundred that could have happened, right? And so I think I think it's it's really not that I don't think will work for me. It's like you can show me all the previews you want, but then I still have to go figure out what that each one of those incidents would have done in that chain of software and applications and business processes. Uh, it's just a mindset shift. I think, I think going back to the original topic of today is, it's just accept you're going to get hit. Let's just, let's just start educating our leadership of, of you're going to get hit. We have to put these things in place. You know, we have to turn some of these things on automatically. We're really going to protect the, what I call the, the secret sauce, right? Now let's figure out how do we put other belt and suspenders around your business processes or your phone calls, or how do we create more redundancy, maybe create a virtual desktops, you know, that, that automatically you know, right. get a to you so that you have a working computer while we're shutting down your computer. So, so those are the kind of things that I think we need to be doing more of so that, that they start looking at it as, as, yeah, you are looking out for my best interest because you don't want to mess up my business process. You don't want to have me lose a big deal, but yet you're taking care of the, of the cyber, cyber area. And so I think those are all things that, that I think we, we just need to start educating more with, and, and less around, let me show you all the tools that I'm putting in place to try to protect us. You know, let's just, let's just say we've done enough is good enough. You know, we're always going to be monitoring. We're always going to be looking at our tabletops, but that's good enough. Now let's focus on this piece of, of how do we make sure that, that we're able to respond? You know, you know, we, we have, you know, communications plans, you know, we know how to get out to the media. You know, we, we know how to do all that because we want to be transparent if we ever get breached. Fortunately, knock on wood, we haven't, but, but we're ready for it. At least we think we're ready. At least our tabletops tell us, right? But but I think it's it's just changing the conversation with leadership. We've we focused CIOs and CISOs for so long is all the tools I can put in place to protect us. I totally agree with this panel. Is, is how do we change that conversation with our leadership? Right. And one of the things we, you know, to the audience here, don't do it with FUD, right? We talk about FUD a lot on this uh, program. Don't do it with fear, uncertainty, and doubt because you will, you will, eyes will glaze, roll in the back of the head to executives you talk to, they'll throw you out of a room, or even worse case, you scare them into giving you the money you need to get something done, and now they're like, where's my ROI? Exactly. And it never plays well for people. But it is is a mind shift, and it's also not an all or nothing. You know, I love Miranda's point of being able to say, let's do it slowly. You you got to be careful with the slowly because slowly turns into very long periods of time, which can turn into apathy, which can turn into it's not a big deal. Um, this isn't a let me show you all the bad stuff that's happening, but you start ticking it off. And one of the things that we like to do, Jesse, to your point, is let's pick big things with low risk, and let's start putting those things into place again. If in your organization you don't allow network recon and you have some technical capabilities, if you've got a 5-9 chance that you know, you're not going to have a false positive, that's a conversation with a chairman, a CEO, you know, your chief legal counsel. And you know, if they go, well, what happens in that 0.1%? If you, if you spend the time with a psychology footprint and you walk them through, this is what will happen to that 0.1, 0.01% situation, and you can get them to understand that, wow, so one person a year or one person a quarter may lose their machine for an hour, but it won't allow someone to get data out of my you know, my environment. My laptop will never end up on the internet like the data will never end up on the internet. 
that sounds like a risk worth it. Give me a monthly report. Gotcha. And if you change the mindset of a security professional to, I'm not here to prevent bad things from happening. I'm here to prevent us from dying when it does. Again, you could start really getting that mindset. So, you know, you, you, Miranda, you can get people to be more comfortable as they're going through. And that's, I think what, what you all have done is hit the nail on the head for how do you get to a response or or short response? It's culture. It has to be baked into your culture. And I see Mitch, you're shaking your head. I know you. I've been, you know, one of the things I know you're passionate about, and I want to, I'm thinking about what you said of, you know, pick off those things that you can do that you and Miranda were mentioning. I think the same thing you're passionate about training end users and, so um, I'll take the other side of the coin just for a moment. We're not going to get out of get out of this situation by training everybody better. That's not the answer, right? It's in a, it's a part of what we do, and I also don't think we're going to get out of this situation by training them on one more thing. It's like just keep it super simple, right? Don't click on things. If something looks suspicious, here's what to do. Now let's let's educate you on some scenarios. And you can talk about a lot of other things, password security and some things like that. But keep it simple, right? That, that that's gonna go, you know, miles instead of yards to help just with make it, population. And make it personal. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things we did here is, you know, you realize pretty early on in certain corporate cultures that they don't really care about the company. Right. Companies got stuff, right? You know, we have a CIO just paying first. Yeah, they'll recover. They've got, you know, they're all rich and, you know, they've got tools and techniques. Who cares? Or worse, I've heard in other companies, luckily not where I am, is "Eh, if it breaks, I'll just go get another job. Right. I mean, that kind of mentality. So if you're trying to train them to protect that company, that could be hard. Make it personal. Make it personal. Don't threaten, but make it personal. So you're right. If you click a link in the corporate machine that we've given you, we have tools. I have an XDR program. Right. We're we're going to do this, this, this and this. I've got an incident response team sitting in this region. We've got you. But what happens if you click it on that machine, that personal machine? Do you have XDR on your home machine? No. So make that training personal. Again, that can help with how you respond to things. And, you know, the report phishing button is a very interesting response capability for a lot of companies. You know, when I started pushing them out, if you got five a week in a large company, that was shocking because people just didn't, they're like, go away. As you start training them, you realize it's hundreds, then thousands of people clicking that a week because they, they become like, I think all of us, very cynical and they question everything, right? It's, you know, I, I had a situation here and I'll even call us out. We sent out a corporate email right? A corporate email. 30% of our corporation reported as a fish. Came from us, but it was not done really well. It kind of was rushed and it, it got reported as fish. And I took that as a badge of honor, right? That's exciting to me that the culture has shifted enough where people are like, hmm, this doesn't seem right. Report fish, report fish, report fish. And it, it's it's that mental change that you have to make without it being if you if you click a link, you're fired. If you fail a phishing test, you're fired. You can't you can't go down that path. Well, that that's the flip side to what Mitchell was talking about, right? I mean, 
it's the carrot and the stick. But you know what? I we're coming up on time. I, I want to acknowledge a couple of things that I think have really helped in in dealing with things from a, a rather than prevention or response. You know, the, the whole chaos monkey, the whole chaos simian family, right? Or there's this chaos chimp and chaos monkey and chaos gorilla or whatever. I mean, the idea of being able, you know, just throw a wrench in there. And oftentimes it might be a cyber kind of uh, response, you know, a cyber event that you're responding to. The whole field, frankly, of chaos engineering, right? His his started, I think, changed the mindset around this. I But I also, here here's the deal. I've been in security a long time, as all of us here have. We're still a shiny trinket, magic silver bullet kind of industry. We're always looking for that. Well, I want to keep it really simple. I want one solution that's going to give me perfect response. It's not happening. It's not happening, right? There, There's so many aspects to response. Jesse, you mentioned communications, especially if you're a public entity or something like that. You've got to have crisis communications going. You've got to have your culture of, of, you know, what the people, how are they going to respond? No one's going to get like deer in the headlights kind of thing, right? You need your tools. Like everything else in def in security, it's defense in depth, right? We we need an in-depth response plan. And, and I think that that's one of the reasons why we've had CISOs elevated to the C-suite. It should be them who are taking the lead on these in-depth, full-spectrum response plans. That's part of the job. If you're a CISO out there, it's got to be part of your job. You've got to take that bull by the horns and lead, them, lead it to the, you know, to the green land there. And I'll throw it out there because we say it on every one of these episodes, Alan. If you've never done it before and you don't know where to start, ask. Ask for help. There are plenty of us out there, right? I mean, and let's be honest, I would love to say that, you know, you know, I'm so great at what I do. I came up with it all, but that would be an abject lie, right? Miranda, you would say the same thing. I and Jesse, we're just meeting, but I would assume you say the same thing. I know Mitch and Alan say it all the time, is we look to mentors, we look to peers, we look to groups, we look to organizations to help educate and help provide guidance around what failed for them, right? You know, I, the greatest thing that can happen is when I meet with friends that are in the uh, the security world or the IT world, and they say, okay, by the way, don't ever do this. Because if you do, you're going to be fired like I was two jobs ago. You know, I was escorted <laughs> out of a board meeting because I did, don't do that. Right. And those kinds of learnings can help you with your own organization without spending money. Because again, we're all on the same side of this thing. We're all peers in industry and your success is our success and vice versa. And then the practice thing, I, I, I just can't stress enough. And I love tabletops. And we've had episodes on tabletops. And they're necessary. But if you have an, an opportunity to do a live range simulation, do it. Because there's a big difference between us all sitting here going and looking at a piece of paper going, okay, um, you know, red light turned on on this thing. Or you got a phone call and it's going to be like this, give me money as compared to being in the room and that happens. It, it just changes the nature of things um, when someone drags you in front of a, you know, a news camera and it's all staged and says, all right, Mr. and Mrs. CEO, Mr. and Mrs. CISO, here are your questions. 
we're live. It changes three, two, things. So that three, two, Al, like you do on this show. Three, two, yeah. one, let's go. <laughs> How you react and respond is the difference between a career-limiting move and a heroic move in a bad situation. Miranda, Jesse, I'm going to give you two the last word if it's okay. Which one? Who wants to go first, Jesse or Miranda? Miranda, go ahead. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think between uh, crisis communications, you know, it has to be in your incident response plan, planning for the worst, drilling your employees, making it part of your culture. You know, cyber drills, just like you have fire drills. Do it once a month. Test your employees. I think that's the takeaway. Jesse, we'll give you the last word. Hundred percent agree. I think the only thing I would add there is is, and again, you know, Mad Miranda, just meeting you, but very impressed with you guys. You guys think like business leaders. Don't always just think they're like technologists. And I would say to every CISO out there and every cybersecurity, it's not black and white. And so you you have to evolve. You have to be having those conversations with leadership, educating leadership. It's not all or nothing. It doesn't turn it all off or turn it all on. There is a middle ground. And so work with your leadership to find that balance on the risk spectrum. And and I think if you do that you'll get funding, you'll get support, and I think you can really protect. And the best thing can happen, you know, Matt, that you described is what's happened to here. We're spending more time on trying to figure out how to craft emails so that people don't block them as spam when they're legitimate, which is a great culture to have when, when they're, we're working harder to make sure they don't block our own personal or emails that are real, because that means we're doing a good job of making people aware of the fact that they're out there. Great. Thank you. Fantastic. Guys, we're, we're, we're over time, but we're done. Um, Miranda, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. I invite you both back anytime you'd like to come on CISO Talk and Chat. Mitchell, Matt, as usual, what a great job you guys do. Make me look good. Um, for our audience, thanks for joining us. This is CISO Talk. We'll be back in two weeks. Week, one week off, one week on with another great CISO Talk, and we'll see you then.